This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Liberty Now. I'm your host, John Verd. Thank you very much for stopping by. This is the show for discerning minds and common sense. We seek the truth and can think for ourselves. I'll be here dropping truth bombs every Saturday at 10 p.m. and chatting with you about stuff that matters to you and me and everyone we know. And today, we're having a conversation with one of those thinkers, a deep thinker named Holger Horiga, did I pronounce that correctly? Yep, that'll do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's a, a pleasure to be talking with you at length today, Holger. We have a, a common friend, uh, Ellie, who's a nutritionist, and I, I understand you also do a lot of um, holistic uh, healing work yourself as well. So it'll be interesting to talk about that. Um, today's topic, we're going to talk about. Uh, the Brave New World versus 1984, which should be interesting for anybody who's read either or both of those novels. And is it a self-fulfilling prophecy or blueprint? Um, so we can go a lot of directions with that. But Holger, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Um be interesting to see where this leads. Um. Yeah. Well, it's, I just, uh, I, I like to explore these ideas, you know, and and think, you know, in, in philosophical terms, as well as, you know, what's happening geopolitically. Um, I'm, I'm also a fan of the writings of um, Joseph Campbell, who wrote The Power of Myth. You know, we've read some of the same books. Um, you've read both Brave New World and 1984 in particular. Um, yep. But before we dig into that, Holger, tell me a little bit about your background. Yep. I grew up in, in East Germany, um, like in the 70s, 80s, uh, uh, still in the middle of the Cold War. And I only knew that world from that side of the of the fence until until we got to the late eighties um, when the uh, when the system um, started wobbling and then finally um, eventually collapsing. Um, and I was right in the middle of that one at at that stage. Yeah, but I've and- been in my late teens, been um, been in the uh, in the in the um, air force already, and basically watching the collapse of. Um, of that, um, what used to be my country, basically, or my home. Yeah, well, I mean, what was that like, breaking out into the world? I mean, you, there must have been a lot of myths or things you believed about the outside world that you you had well, no way of knowing. I mean, what was that like? Yeah, well, it, we lived in an interesting, like, compared to, let, let's say, for example, um, uh, people in Poland or the Czech Republic, um, we had the advantage that we were right next to West Germany, right? Yeah. So we could receive West German um, television radio shows um um our american friends had um the radio in the american sector the uh, rias one and two they would uh, definitely make sure we get we get all the <laughs> right. information from their side um so we did we did have a bit of the um the privilege of having seen both sides so we actually grew up very um skeptical of our government okay um and I think that's carried over to me now. So I'm very skeptical of anything that's uh, that calls themselves government because I've seen it working on both sides. Um, I've seen the communist system 
I've lived long enough in, in this system now. I'm, I'm not quite sure what we call this um, end stage capitalism, I suppose. End stage capitalism. I've I've never heard well, that. Term, if you that sounds. If you're Marx, Marx, um, there's a Marxist um, kind of um, terminology. You have the early stage capitalism and end stage capitalism going going into uh, monopolism, which is what we're basically having now. Yeah. Um, yeah technocracy or, then, or rather and then um, techni oligarchy. Technically, yeah. So according to Marx um, and then Lenin, the next step should be the uh, uh, demise of, of that system and then the superseding of the new system. But um, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that can I, be another I, 100 years. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I'm still a firm believer in, you know, free market capitalism. Um, you know, I, I often think of it sort of as the Amazon rainforests, you know, where you have such an amazing diversity of life, you know, even between like uh, closely related species of birds, you see like th there's so much competition that they, they get so incredibly creative in their behaviors and yeah. their color patterns and, and all the, the huge amount of life. It's not a monoculture. And I, I think it really makes for a, a diverse and, and beautiful environment and, yeah. and, it, and it fosters lots of invention yeah. in a natural yeah. system. Right. And then, and I see capitalism when it's allowed to operate that way. Um, but when you have, you know, monopolies controlling the market and, and um, collaborating on, you know, price fixing and these things, it's, it makes it very hard for new invention yeah. or any competing. In fact, so, uh, who was it? One, one of the, Rockefellers, I believe, said competition is a sin. Which I really <laughs> he, would, he would he would say he would say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although and so, I have to say, um, free market um, free market capitalism hasn't existed in a long time because there's there's no free markets um, capitalism that I can see. Most of them are quite well governed, either through import taxes or through. Um, trade agreements that favor one country right. or one industry over the other. Um, it's, so it's not true. It's, it's not true free market capitalism. That was, that was the, in the 1800s maybe. And even then the crown was already uh, regulating the market. Well, yeah, we've, uh, we've seen a, a very slow creep, which seems to be accelerating now in, in that changing. Um, I, I also am a, a big um, fan of the whole, idea of independence, you know, when the uh, colonists broke away from England, you know, and, and de declared independence in 1776, uh, it was, you know, it was a huge sea change for the whole world. We'd never seen anything like that. And um, I think it spurred all kinds of innovation and, um, you know, that, that freedom allowed them yes. to you know, innovate, and it, and it affected the rest of the world. And it's, it's ironic to me that those innovations that, that, and the technology that have been allowed to be, you know, created from that, you know, mm. hundred years, 200 years later, uh, are the very tools that are being used against the general populace, um, not just in America, but around the world. So when you're saying, you know, you're yeah. starting to see the demise of it, I, I think it has been creeping that way because it hasn't been allowed to operate freely yeah well the tools the tools are only that they're tools you know how they've been used um that's a different question um, right and that depends on the motivation of the operator right right 
Um, so you you can make you can use your knife to make yourself a sandwich or um, stab your ex girlfriend. Right. The knife's a knife. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It's exactly. In, in fact, that's the argument that uh, you know a lot of, of people try to use against um, you know uh, the Second Amendment and gun ownership in the United States. And people are like, you know, guns yeah. are inherently bad. And no tool. It's it's just a power tool. It's you know it does have a specific purpose. You know, for self defense, if you're using it morally, ethically, correctly, but it can also be used offensively. And Although you know, I can see, I can, in the point if the point of the guns, I can see where the uh, the, the pacifistic the pacifist uh, argument comes in because a gun's um, only objective is to kill. It just depends what you're aiming it at. You know? Right. And but a it, knife it, is it, like a multi-purpose tool, whereas a, a gun specifically, it it just shoots a pro projectile at something. Yeah. True. It it does have that purpose, yeah. but it it also can be a great equalizer. For example, um, you know. Uh, women and who are moral strength comes in uh, what's what's the moral purpose right and are you taking a life or are you not taking a life and what for or stopping a threat yeah but yes what? i yeah i i can see both sides of that um i i tend you know being american i tend to lean towards the the argument that it's well um for example um well, out of the united yeah, out of the it was one of the the things that the founding fathers in in the U.S. Uh, made darn sure that was built into the Constitution uh, and in the Second Amendment, in order that uh, they wouldn't undergo the same sort of tyrannical rule that uh, they experienced prior to 1776. You know, with the British troops coming over yeah. there, they wanted to make sure that the population could defend itself and have an, a militia in the absence of uh, a standing military, you know, uh, force at all times. And it, and it was the general, you know, the, the citizens, the average citizens, a lot of them who, who fought in the war, eventually putting on uniforms, but they were, you know, uh, farmers, a lot of them, and just people that uh, believed in, you know, getting themselves out from under a, a really bad tyranny. It was, and, yeah. um, that guarantee, you know, is the uh, human right to, to self-defense, to, to be able to at least somewhat match the opposing power. And what, what's interesting, what's telling is out of the United Nations, there was a statement, I'll have to look it up, but they said that the ability of citizenry to own weapons undermines the legitimate power monopoly of the state. Yep, that's uh, exactly the point. <laughs> yeah, and then I think that's exactly the point. And that's why, um, because the state can become too large and not yeah. working in the interest of the people uh, yeah, who controls the setting controller. their own agenda, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a, an ongoing debate. I fully realize that, you know, not everybody is ever going to be all on the same page with it, I'm sure. But, but you really have a unique experience, um, you mm -hmm. know, growing up where you did. And now you're living in a free wow. Western democratic society well, I'm, I'm at the moment i'm stuck on an island <laughs> yeah <laughs> right um, uh, well we're, we often laugh about this one um with my friends and my uh, my comrades from back um from back in the uh, uh east german days um are basically moved nineteen thousand kilometers um south southeast to uh, um again be stuck in a country with um without getting out without without um having to fold over backwards for the government um not knocking it um we over the last year we got away way lighter than most of the world in in this charade so 
here we are today and, and we're starting to see there are many parallels, if not outright things that, that would look like predictions coming mm. from uh, the novel Brave New World, as well as 1984. I think you can chuck them together uh, because yeah, one's well, one political side and one is social engineering, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Aldous Huxley and uh, George Orwell had conversations about which scenario they thought was most likely. They must have been thinking of this as a, a future possible scenario, right? Or mm -hmm. was it a, a blueprint? Was it Was it something that they planned for? Talk a little bit about the history of those individuals and and those whole leading up to the idea of brave new world in 1984 well okay well brave new world was written in 33 if i'm correct uh, if i'm correct on this one 32 or 33 so. um so that's before world war ii um and that's before anything else um in, in europe really had kicked off um in in yeah as an industrial war because world war one was the prelude to this one world war ii being the actual first industrial war on a massive scale. Um, and Aldous Huxley being from the aristocracy um, with, especially back in those days, the right to govern, uh, the God-given the God -given right to uh, govern and um, the status in the society within society being predetermined by your birth. Um, he, he basically wrote it from that point. From, from his point of view, um, the reason why there is only a couple of alphas, a couple of world controllers, um, it's because that's their right and because they don't want to have any um, interference from the epsilons. I don't know. I'm, I'm referring to the characters in the book or the... Uh, right. The uh, for those who haven't read Brave New um, World, who were the epsilons? The, um, es well, essentially, the society was um, engineered uh, with the alphas on top and then the alpha minus um, and beta plus, beta minus was the upper management. And then all the way down, um, down the bottom were the epsilons, which were the um, the working bees, shall we say, the, the, the yes. poor vast working class, uh, which were in the process of development. They weren't born by mothers anymore. They were born in a factory. Um, right. And um, artificial like starved of oxygen and exposed to toxins in order for them to uh, not develop too much brain matter, but um, feel at home in um, in bad conditions. And then basically they were only expected to live for like 30 years. Um, I'm not sure how far I want to get into this one now, but um, yeah, yeah, there was a social there was a social drug called Soma, which was um, explicitly given to uh, everyone in small quantities in order to. Uh, um, stop any um emotional disturbances right um within the person and within society and at the end of your lifespan basically over 30 when you're over the hill you were, were given an overdose and then disposed of calling to mind um other movies like logan's run where you have yep. a predetermined lifespan about 35 i think it was and then you yep. go to uh quote carousel a big celebration where yeah, yeah. yeah you're terminated yeah, like the lottery for the island or something that's got a, and i was i said the island isn't it <laughs> with the clones <laughs> yeah they, they were going to america quote yeah. america after they had a life a lifetime of olympic level fitness training um yeah the best healthiest ones got to go and come to find out they were actually going to uh cryogenic preservation being hung up on uh, in freezers on meat hooks for uh, organ harvesting. <laughs> that was a dark movie. <laughs>
If you're just tuning in, this is John Verd on Liberty Now on air, 96.9 Plains FM in Christchurch. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes at Liberty Now on air, and you can get the links, files, and show notes for this episode at libertynow.com. So the overall idea, the premise of Brave New World is a, a managed society, right? Controlled right. from before birth, if you can call it birth, when they're, you know, raised artificially without mothers. And then I see, you know, um, this sort of Marxist ideology, you know, the family unit needs to be abolished, right? Yes. Orchard, um, like any, anything that takes the takes the focus off the uh, government, basically. And that's, and that included, like we grew up with our churches, pretty much. There was churches around and the occasional person would go in there, but in general, they were kept as a minority. That's an actual stated written plan, right? This is like how we want to form society. So that kind of parallels with that, that thinking in Brave New World. But also more recently, fast forward to the Black Lives Matter movement, which, you know, so many people who oh, haven't gosh. really looked deeply into it, I uh, think yeah. it's, it's this wonderful movement. And, you know, on, from the outside, it looks like, yeah, we, we need to create equality and it looks like a great idea. But you look at the ideology of the, the very founders and on their, their own website, uh, it actually said that we, we want to abolish the nuclear family. They said that. I mean, and in fact, once people started pointing that out uh, from the right, it, it disappeared from their website. Yeah. I, I was able to get it um, from the archives and I've got that actually. I should probably post that on the website. Uh, and the founders themselves are avowed Marxists. And I believe they're also into uh, Wicca or, or um, some kind of Wiccan practice. Definitely the occult. Um, yeah. To be it, honest, occult just means hidden. Huh? Whereas those guys, they're not really, they're not really hiding anything. They're literally um, want to create um, a society, um, basically trying to play God instead of letting things work naturally. They're trying to establish an um, an order of sorts. But um, I mean, we, you know, from right. here we get get into more the uh, psychology of things that. Well, and it, yeah, yeah, if you if you really yeah. get down to it, you know, all the there's so many different things happening, but it really kind of at the end of the day it is a, a very basic philosophy isn't it should we dictate how society runs should we play god or should we allow free market or nature to evolve culture and be inventive and, and let people be free to think and determine mm -hmm. their own future um and i think if you wanted to get down to it, it, it there is that sort of that that struggle right the mm -hmm. unwashed masses Generally, most of them want to be free, but I think they've given up a lot of their um, control by getting sucked into technology and entertainment. Um, so they're not actively thinking about, you know, yeah, preserving I their think, freedoms. I think freedom is actually the harder way for most for most people. The golden cage is way way better an alternative. It is if easier, ask, isn't it? If you if you want to ask, this is this um. This got nothing to do with both, with either of those books at the moment. But if you think about the one little bit in the Matrix, I'm I'm not a huge big fan of of that movie because there's some subtle, subtle undertones in there that I don't like. Yeah. But um, there's uh, the one guy who uh, took the red pill and woke up, and then he hated every minute of it. And he was he in the end he betrays the guys and wants to get right. reinserted in the Matrix. It's easier. 
it's easier to live in, in, in blissful ignorance than um well it seems easier it seems more comfortable because and, and essentially this is how i see it is um as long as we're childlike individuals that blame the outside world for all the shortcomings um we will always have to have a father or mother person um or figure of some sort that will tell us what to do because and that's what right. most people do they they look they look for a, an authority figure to get instructions right yeah but that's a that's childlike behavior um Absolutely. that's not the you're totally in order to grow in order to grow up you have to be responsible for all your actions and for everything in your life that doesn't mean you're responsible that for example it rains on your head when you're outside but you're responsible enough to put a cape on or get a fucking umbrella or something (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you know what i mean it's the absolutely it's the like oh the government makes it rain every every friday yeah um poor me um that that kind of that kind of victim childhood meant this is a childish mentality or a childlike mentality absolutely Um, you're you're going right down the path ever since the 60s i think in the late 60s was the last time um well with the student revolts in in the states because of the vietnam war um yeah. which went worldwide in the end and and it caused a lot of upheaval um even even on our side where um in the com- on the communist side because people started questioning authority uh, it wasn't right. it, it didn't go unnoticed uh, even though it was probably sponsored by um by the marxists um in in the states um to get to get a bit upset about the vietnam war and to rally the young people but because the intellectuals were still thinking in the, um, on by themselves back then, yeah, and taking um, taking in independent action, which was dangerous. Um, that right. one they ha- cared, they cared that about the, what happened in the world. They were involved in politics. Yeah, uh, that one happened again. Always, um, they learned looked they down learned by the, the mainstream <laughs> politicians. You know these crazy yeah. kids. The protests back then were about you know like a righteous cause, like innocent yep. people were being killed. Soldiers were being set off to a war, un, an unnecessary war, in what ultimately was uh, probably more a, a commercial over commercial interests than um, always and, is. That's what war always is about. Yeah, it's always about commercial interests. The moment you step outside your borders, you're not defending your country; you're invading. All wars um, are started usually for conquest, right? Even the Roman Empire that was for commercial interests. It just looked a bit different. Right. Um, yeah. Essentially, it was for the slave labor or for the stones in the in the quarries of Galicia or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but right. Uh, or the olive, the olive oil from Greece or whatever else. Yeah. Gold. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All about resources and you know sold to the general population uh, under the name of of patriotism. Um, but I think those kinds of wars have been very few and far between possibly make some arguments you know to justify america's involvement in world war ii but they they were really sucked into it and and ultimately the britain was was um complicit in that too where they were actually talking to hitler before the outbreak before the invasion of poland they were in negotiations talking about oh well which countries you can invade and which which not so i mean it's not like uh england i mean if you don't integrate the uh um, essentially, the only guys that there are winners in all the wars are the big uh, industrialists, and they Absolutely. are the ones that were pushing. They were pushing the war for starters. Um, if nobody, like, for, let's let's put it this way: if the states didn't want to have, or 
it's not even the states. If the multinationals at that stage, General Motors, uh, Texas Oil, if they didn't, if they didn't want to have a war at their hands, they would have just not supplied the additive that was needed to uh, um, make all the tanks run, for make all the diesel to, right. to actually make the diesel um, oper oper operational. Uh, they could have just stopped it. Right. And it would have been the end, it would have been the end of the Russian tanks and the German ones and everyone else in between. Yeah, and there's a long history going back to, you know, even pre-Civil War days where the industrialists who stood to gain like from munitions producers. A German German manufacturer at the end of World War One, um, yeah, like he got trialed for it, uh, Thyssen, his name was Thyssen. And um, that was because he was selling the uh, his cannons to both the French and the German military. Right, uh, right. If the military, the the... the the worker bees, as you say, you know, are, are aware of this. I think we would, there would be more voting for the people who, who don't do that. We would, we would abolish these things if, if we just yeah, yeah. shed enough light on them. There was a, a really famous quote. Uh, well, actually a whole speech from uh, Dwight Eisenhower as he was leaving office. You may have seen it where he was warning about the dangers of the, um, Yep. increasingly powerful yep. military industrial complex. He coined that phrase, the industrial military industrial complex. That was, yeah. the, I think, one of the first times that was out in public. You know, it's a lot of, of what we see that, that's happening in the world with with this corruption, at least, um, is the, the, the Latin phrase, qui bono, right? Who benefits? If you follow the money, you're very likely to see the real root causes of these things in the case of the military well, industrial complex you know the these missiles you know many of them um have been built with uh like a shelf life so which which ensures their future production you know well, and uh, purchasing from the government if you if you put a shelf life on it and then of course you can only stockpile so many of these things before yep. you need to get rid of them or come out with a version 2.0 you know cruise missile right. version 5 right. well yep. you're how are you going to get rid of them well we need a war once a quarter on the once a quarter on the shooting range <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah it's the same everywhere um yep I, th and, uh, I think um, I, I think what, what, what um, one issue that we have um, is that we uh, we get roped in. Uh, nothing wrong with keeping an eye on politics and the small game that's being played, but it's like when you play chess and you only keep looking at the pawns how they move, and you forget right. that there's a there, there's there's a couple of figures behind that. Right, yeah. and um, that's actually where I was so, kind of going with the the topic of well, of today's show, the, the Brave New World versus the mm. 1984 scenarios. Um, so you have the military industrial complex, you know, the, the masters of industry and, and commerce and, you know, they're corrupt enough, uh, you know, in their dealings with, um, you know, bribing government officials and lobbyists and, and these things. But above them, there are, you know, the people who are really pulling the strings of society. Sure. I think then you start yep. to get into uh, the bankers. The um, with the creation of the Federal Reserve in um, 1913, I believe. The, there's a really good book about that for anybody who hasn't read it, The Creature from Jekyll Island, where um, they got together the uh, Rothschilds, Rockefellers, um, and some of the other industry leaders. Woodrow Wilson, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, well, he was the puppet that sold it to yeah. the American government, and he actually later regretted it. He was, once he saw it, 
what yeah. what it really caused. He married into one of the families. That's why. That's why he got. Yeah, whoever controls the money supply or the value of the money uh, rules the world, right? And that's all the time we have for in this episode. Thank you for listening. It's been a really interesting conversation with Holder Riga. Uh, We will continue this conversation next week. If you'd like to hear more, please tune in next Saturday at 96.9 Plains FM or at Liberty Now on air and get the podcast for free. Until next time, keep asking questions and be good.